Hey everybody, we are sitting here in, on a mountain in New Hampshire, actually, and I'm with Pastor David Whitney. He is a, a great teacher. He's a pastor uh, down in Maryland. He's also a senior instructor with the Institute on the Constitution, a wonderful organization that uh, promotes a proper understanding of America's heritage and our Constitution. Uh, pastor, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, you know, earlier we were talking about what's happening in Europe, the mm -hmm. just massive Islamic immigration. You actually have Muslim leaders who are saying Islam is finally going to conquer Europe and we're not even going to have to fire a shot. Um, you know, there was a time when Martin Luther actually suggested that the Islamic invasions were God's punishment on Christian Europe. What, are you, what is your view on what's happening in Europe right now as far as the Islamic or the Islamization of the continent? Well, just looking at France as one example, I mean, France is perhaps the most extreme. Obviously, England has been largely taken over by the Muslims. I should call them the Mohammedans, that is, the followers of Muhammad and his teaching. And others, other countries are in deep trouble that way. But France is far advanced from all of those because of a greater Islamic invasion of their country. And uh, w when we understand the, the strategy of, of Islam is that there's civilization jihad that takes place when the population of the Mohammedans is less than 15% or around that number. But once they reach 15% in a sense, they turn a corner and now they turn on the typical jihad. What we see is violent jihad, burning buildings, destroying property, stealing from and killing people as well. But that violent jihad is where France has now turned the corner, which tells me that the, the leaders of the Mohammedan movement there in France have recognized that they've reached that population point where historically, historically, if they don't just sweep through and conquer a nation, you know, and, and the whole nation surrenders or dies, then the civilization jihad that they're conducting in France is what's happening. But really I, what I'm seeing there is a second French Revolution. The first French Revolution was an anti-Christian revolution. They rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the Bible. They set up a prostitute in Notre Dame and worshipped her as, as the goddess of reason. And anyway, they took a turn clearly away from Christianity. But that's only the beginning. This second revolution is going to turn it into a, a completely controlled Mohammedan country. Now, Mohammedans aren't going to kill all those who are non-Mohammedans, but they will tax them heavily and they will impose all kinds of Sharia law upon them. So it's not like any of their God-given rights are going to be protected. Contrast what's happening there with our American revolution, our war for independence, which was uh, based in God's word, based on the idea that you have God-given rights, that he has created each one of the, us in his image and therefore our rights come from him. And the whole purpose of government is to protect those God-given rights, nothing else. That's the job of government according to our founders. That's a completely different philosophy than what overtook France in the French Revolution. And so in a sense we're seeing the end result of the first revolution resulting in this second revolution uh, that the weakness of secularism, which is kind of what France turned to, that is not a stable religious system like other religions like Hinduism or Buddhism that you know lasts for thousands of years. This one, a couple hundred years, and it collapses and ultimately a stronger, I hesitate to even call it a religion, but uh, a political system of, uh, of belief that the Mohammedans hold is obviously a very much stronger, you can easily overcome by not just civilization but actually warfare jihad. And the warning I think for us in America is pretty clear. We have enormous immigration of Mohammedans to our country. In, in, in the state of Michigan, there's tragic situations like in Dearborn where the city has basically been taken over. The government has been taken over. In, uh, in Dearborn, this was even a few years back, there was a Christian on the streets of Dearborn handing out Gospel of John. 
He was arrested. He was arrested. He did not have his First Amendment rights, his God-given First Amendment rights protected by the city. And so that's a picture of where America is headed. Unless we repent, unless we return to the Founding Fathers standard, which is the Word of God and the purpose of government being only to protect our God-given rights. Our problem is we're allowing people to come in and likewise, in what's happening in France, take part in the whole political process. And that, this is a difficult problem for most states do not have a system by which they could vet those who come in as to what their philosophy of government is. But I believe that's the thing that ought to be done. Sadly, the 14th Amendment made a change in our constitutional structure. Before the 14th Amendment, every state could establish its own standard for who was the citizen that could vote and could run for office and hold office. For example, in Maryland, and this is going all the way back to 1800, in Maryland you could not be a citizen and hold office unless you believe the Bible is God's word, unless you believed in heaven and in hell, and unless you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. You know, basic Christian theology that anyone who's an Orthodox Christian could agree with. Now that changed in the 1830s and, and obviously by the 14th Amendment. The federal government took over the decision as to who the citizens are, but I think in some way, shape, or form, we need to reinstate a system by which we vet everyone. And I believe, of course, teaching an institute on the Constitution, that our founder's standard needs to be reinstituted. Perhaps a, a, a course, our course is one that does this, but teaches that biblical worldview. And then at the end, test the person to see, do they hold to the biblical worldview? We had an uh, interview here today with Vivek, uh, and that was an interesting time because the, the kids, the students here at Camp Constitution, were asking him questions. And they, I was so pleased because they asked the question I told them, the, the first and most important question you need to ask any candidate is this, what is the purpose of government? And while he answered around the target kind of liberty and uh, you know guarding liberty, he was not specific. And I'm so pleased that the student asking the question didn't let him off the hook. He said, wait a minute, our founders said, the purpose of government is to protect God-given rights. And they said, oh yeah, oh yeah, God, God, that's right, God-given rights. But that's what we need. We need citizens who are going to vet the candidates based on our founder's standard and will not vote for anyone who doesn't hold that founding standard, that, that worldview of our founders. So obviously the French are in trouble. And there, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but um, maybe I can ask two at the same time and you can take them in the order that you think best. First of all, why are so many French leaders and, and European Union leaders and U.S. government leaders, why are they deliberately importing millions and millions of followers of Islam into France, into the United States. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. Uh, so why would they do that? I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're promoting LGBT and at the same time they want to bring in uh, Islamic followers who, who will actually, you know, execute you for that. Why would they do that? What is their interest in doing that? And, uh, and secondly, uh, you know, you're talking about reinstating some sort of standard where, where you'd have to be a Christian to run for office or to hold office in the United States. Uh, you know, I think to the modern person, a after 12 years of government indoctrination, after the fake media, they're going to say, well, that's bigoted. We, you know, we, we can't have things like that. Um, how do you respond to that? What, what would be the argument uh, other than just we'd have a better government if Christians were running it. What would be the argument to do that? Well, thank you, Alex. Let me answer the second one first, because uh, the philosophy of government of our founders will only work 
if people hold to that worldview. In other words, if you elect someone to office who does not believe that there is a creator God, that our rights come from him, and that the only purpose of human civil government is to protect those God-given rights, that person in office is a very danger, a grave danger, because he's going to tax you for things that the government has no business taxing. He's going to establish, well, I call them public indoctrination centers, they call them schools, but he's going to establish those things with your tax money and is going to force you to pay for it even if you don't use it. I obviously didn't send my children there, so I paid twice for their education. So if someone is allowed into office that doesn't hold that view, then your God-given rights are not going to be protected. I teach at Institute on the Constitution. I teach all sorts of courses. And, and one course uh, in particular, an atheist came and took the class. And he said, at the end of the class, David, I disagree with you on your theology. That is, I do not believe God exists in all the rest that you teach. But I see the value of the philosophy of government you're prescribing that it is good to have a view that says there is an external standard which no man can change and by the way 50 percent plus one vote cannot change that standard that's democracy that the standard is fixed and the standard is based upon the measure of protecting my god-given rights so i don't believe in your god but i'm glad that you do and i'm glad that we had a system of government that would protect my right he wouldn't say god-given right my right to property my right to liberty my right to life i'm thankful for that and so i value you uh, that system. In fact, it was an amazing experience because after that course, I was hired by a county in Maryland to teach their upper level staff at the county a, a very mini course on the Maryland Constitution. One of the courses I developed was on the Maryland Constitution, so I agreed to do that and they hired me to do that. And as soon as they did, the ACLU attacked them, threatened to sue them. The Americans United for Separation of Church and State threatened to, you have a pastor teaching uh, uh, employees of the county. This is a violation of separation. All that garbage took place. And I I commend the county commissioners because they did not fold. They did not bend. They held the class, and I was criticized in the newspapers of Baltimore Sun and all this stuff. So it was interesting because they had evidently a spy in the classroom that day, and the little report that came out after the class was, well, Whitney really didn't teach anything like evangelizing people and trying to convert people. He was just teaching the history of the state and the history of the law and the history and the, the, the words of the Constitution. And you see, the, that atheist defended me in that fight. He defended me because he knew the philosophy of government is what's so critically important. If we don't have people who are citizens voting based upon that philosophy, and we don't have people in office based upon that philosophy, we will lose our God-given rights, which we're seeing happen. You know, you, your God-given right to own your own home? Well, Kilo v. New London. Supreme Court says, no, you don't own the home. You rent it from the government. Anytime they want to take it, they can come and take it. So your the problem. Economic Forum says you will own nothing by 2030 and be happy. <laughs> They'll steal it all. Right. So I think the answer is we need to understand the philosophy of government doesn't mean you need to hold to that religious belief system to enjoy the fruits of that philosophy. But if you have people in office who don't believe that philosophical position, you're going to lose your God-given rights. Here's the news, Dad. Is it, son? Is it? What about this one, Dad? Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. There's just too much baloney out there. At the New American, they cut through the baloney and give me the truth. The truth is hard to find, but the New American has it. Check it out at thenewamerican.com. So let's go to the second question now. Uh, you know, you do have this very bizarre alliance. I mean, you have radical leftists, communists, socialists, LGBT activists, 
at the forefront of agitating for millions and millions of Muslims from the Middle East and Africa to be brought into the United States and brought into Europe, um, they must realize that this is eventually going to cause a conflict and that the Muslims are not going to tolerate their, their debauchery forever. Um, why are they doing this? Well, it's fascinating. A, um, a friend of mine has published a book, The Red-Green Axis, mm. that is combining the communists with the Marxists, and that they have an alliance together to achieve a goal short-term. Long-term, of course, they're going to fight it out with each other, and, you know, probably history would show that the Muslims kill the communists. But anyway, that's, that's down the road. <laughs> but they recognize that their alliance together can be used to destroy a nation. That's what they're doing in France. So the Marxists behind the scenes are saying, yeah, let's get all these Mohammedans in here because the Marxists and Mohammedans can destroy the whole system. Once it's destroyed, then they can impose, well, their satanic world order, whatever you want to call it. But uh, what, what the, uh, the globalists have expressed, what their vision is for a one world government, under Satan, of course, but their one world government can only be accomplished if they crush each and every independent nation. And they believe they have control over so many nations. Most of the nations in Africa are up to their ears in debt and they can't, you know, so they're dependent. And, and likewise, in other parts of the world are dependent. But they know that in Europe, and particularly here in the United States, we're the big obstacle. Mm. They've got to crush us. Well, how do you crush us? Well, you, you, rather than an invading army, which in America would be a very difficult thing to pull off an invasion, Unless, of course, you captured Canada. Oh, well, yeah, Canada's already captured. <laughs> oh, unless you controlled Mexico. Oh, wait a minute, right? The cartels are all run by the communist Chinese. And, uh, oh, I guess they... So, anyway, but even so, even if you have those two land borders, you've got to transport an enormous amount of material. You've got to transport troops. And you've got to invade. It's difficult to do. Absolutely. So, the easiest way to invade is have the future soldiers, who've already been trained in their own home country, come in the border and lie sleeper cell-like until the moment in which they're activated. And w w they could be equipped from within the country. After all, our government has how many billions and billions of rounds of ammo that they bought up in the past? You wonder, why did the Department of, uh, you know, uh, the NOAA, National Oceanic, why do they need ammunition? Why did the Department of Education need billion rounds? Of why? Well, they're storing it up for the future soldiers that I think they're importing at this point in time, Mohammedans, and then also, uh, clearly, they're bringing in young men of military age from China by droves. So yeah. I think they're doing an invasion of our country from within. Uh, and they'll, they'll equip those guys and they'll give them all the weapons that they've stockpiled, our government has stockpiled. So they'll have no problem doing that. But they have to have them in place ahead of time in order to pull off an attack that takes place all across the country all at once. Well, and that leads me to my next question. You know, I've, I've often heard it said that the pulpits are the first and last line of defense, that the church needs to be sounding the alarm and calling people to repentance and calling people to turn back to God and uh, kind of restoring the foundations, if you will. And yet uh, the spread of apostasy through the churches all across the Western world is unbelievable. Uh, just earlier today, I saw the, uh, the second in command of the Church of England said that uh, calling God Father is problematic. Uh, apparently, you don't respect God's pronouns, no matter if he wow. told you them or not. So, so, God somewhere, so God somewhere has issued what his pronouns are? He, him, right? <laughs> so, uh, but you don't respect those if, when it comes to God. It's uh, unbelievable. And you got, you know, yesterday you and I talked about this uh, quote-unquote Presbyterian priestess uh, yeah. who, uh, who said God smiles on abortion and she didn't mm. feel any guilt about killing her babies. I mean, um, and, and you've seen this. I mean, you've got pastors all over the country now celebrating homosexual weddings and uh, preaching that, um, you know, all kinds of heresy. Um, 
And it's even happening in your denomination, the Evangelical uh, Free Church. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the spread of apostasy. Why is it happening? How does it get turned around? And I guess they're coming for you now. They are. A friend of mine, Jeff Kluwer, has published a book, Woke Free Church, because he's identified in the Evangelical Free Church where the Evangelical Free leadership has gone woke and they're promoting uh, things that are completely unbiblical. They're promoting CRT and they're saying, oh, that's not CRT, but clearly you look at the teaching, it's CRT. They're promoting female, I can't call them pastors, but they want to call themselves shepherds. And they're doing things that are completely contrary to what our denomination has stood for for 100 plus years. So it's happening in the more conservative denominations, obviously the very liberal denominations, the Anglican church, and so they have gone woke and left long ago. But it's happening now in the Southern Baptists. I understand the battle is still being fought there. It's happening in the uh, PCA, again, the conservative branch of the Presbyterian. So we see even the most conservative elements in American evangelicalism, the battle within is taking place. And I'm under the hot seat for being what they want to call a Christian nationalist. And I said, well, define the term for me, Christian nationalist. They said, well, it has a lot of definitions. Well, so you're accusing me of something, but you can't tell me what it is. I mean, it's just it's insane. And this is the board of ministerial standing. They asked me 13 questions about me being a Christian nationalist. At the end of some of those questions, he said, well, you know, many people would say, given your responses to these questions, that you're a Christian nationalist. I said, I am not a Christian nationalist. I am a biblicist. I preach what the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God says about every subject matter, including what it says about law, what it says about government, which tragically is, is sadly lacking from the pulpits. In fact, when we look back to the history of our country, we would never have separated from Great Britain. We would have never had that war for independence had it not been for the pulpits preaching God's standard of law and government. And it's all over the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. There's very clear statements about what, uh, what God demands of civil government. So what we we have today is apostasy happening in part it may be a fulfillment of the prophecy where Jesus asked the question will be there be faith on earth when I come and it does there's other prophecies to talk about the great falling away that occurs before his coming and so we may be seeing that I don't want to say I know that that's the case but I think what's happened is that the seminaries have been infiltrated that professors themselves slip in and begin proclaiming that woke agenda, which means their students, the future pastors in the pulpits, hold those views and then begin to shift and corrupt their churches that way. And before you know it, you have my friend Jeff Kluwer being defrocked because he called out the leadership for their sins. And instead of repenting of their sins, in fact, when they, they held the, his, his board's uh, you know, interview, basically putting him on trial, they did not answer one of his charges in the book. They said, you have misrepresented people. He said, can you show me page and exact quote where I misrepresented someone? Because he's quoting these people exactly in context and they simply would not and they simply defrocked him. And I'm up slated for mid-September, and I know given what's happened last month with him, that's what's gonna be happening to me because I preach what the Word of God says about law and government, and I relate it to the events of the day and say, well, this is an illustration of that, and here's what the Word of God has to say about that and they hate that. They do not want preachers doing that. But that's exactly what we need. Yeah. Preachers who would stand up and do what the colonial preachers did, what the King of England called the Black Robe Regiment. Because yeah. he recognized they were his 
greatest opponents because they were taking the word of God and applying it to what the king and parliament and what the civil government was doing. And the king did not want to repent. Parliament did not want to repent. They said, instead of repenting, I think we'll come and shoot you. <laughs> Lexington and Concord. That's, right. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Not too far from where we're sitting right now. Uh, we're almost out of time, Pastor. I could talk to you all day. You are so fascinating and so knowledgeable. But uh, I just want to ask for, for the folks out there, I think this would probably be demoralizing for some people. You know, what is an American to do? What is a Christian to do? Is there any hope for saving America, for saving Europe? Uh, I mean, obviously our hope is in the Lord, but, um, you know, where are we going? How does a Christian even find a, a proper church yeah. these days? Well, I think a lot of Christians, COVID revealed where their church stood. 95 plus percent closed their doors, which means they did not believe what Hebrews 10, 24 and 5. To find a faithful church is extremely difficult. I've talked to a number of people here this week at camp who said, you know, they have despaired because they cannot find a faithful church. Well, I encourage them, form a fellowship, get together with some believers. And uh, they're certainly welcome to uh, consume my sermons if that they want to make that part of their worship service that uh, uh, would be of help to them. But we need to form Christian organizations, little churches, house churches, if you will, that are prepared for a storm that is to come because Satan is going to throw his worst that he can at the church of Jesus Christ. So we need to prepare for that. We need to also prepare mentally for persecution as best we can because we know that we have been an anomaly for 300 plus years where persecution has not been present on our shores. That is an anomaly in the history of the church. Throughout the history of the church, most places have experienced persecution, ongoing persecution. Sometimes there'll be a little break but 300 plus years is extremely unusual. So we ought to prepare ourselves for persecution. Furthermore, we need to recognize that in the midst of this uh, conflict that we're facing, Jesus Christ is going to build his church. Amen. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, which means evangelism, and disciple making are to be our priority. We're to be in the word of God ourselves, prayer, worship, fellowship, and we're to make disciples. And in the midst of this, I was just reading Revelation this morning. It talks about they overcame him, Satan. Yeah by their blood. That is, we look at martyrdom as a loss. Oh, he were, de were defeated on the battlefield. Satan got, no, no, no. Scripture says that martyrdom is victory. And the martyrs are the victorious ones who wear the crowns. And you know, when you look at the biblical perspective, what might look like a loss, like, oh, the cross of Jesus Christ looked like a, you know, but resurrection, <laughs> resurrection day comes. So we need to look at it from that perspective. We're in the, in the throes of the beginning of a very intense time that is going to involve persecution and great loss of life among true followers of Jesus Christ. And the sad thing I think I'm going to see and seeing in my own denomination is that the first people to attack us, the first people to throw us under the bus are those who claim to be Christians. But now I'm suspecting they're not, that they're just wolves in sheep's clothing. We've already started seeing that in Florida. They're, they arrested a, a pastor uh, for not obeying the COVID regulations that the county or the city put out, and the sheriff swooped in there, big show. They had a press conference, and they trotted out these other pastors to say how great it was that this other pastor was being arrested. Uh, truly horrific. Now, thankfully, our governor ordered him released immediately, but uh, I think we'll see a lot more of that. Pastor, you are a senior instructor at the Institute on the Constitution. How do people learn more? How do people find your teachings? Thank you, Alex. If they go to The American View, all one word, The American 
theamericanview.com. Uh, we have many courses available there. We have a free course on the uh, U.S. Constitution teaching the biblical foundations of law and government uh, and encourage you to get the courses, train yourself, train your children, use it as a, a ministry tool in training people in your church. Uh, and, and that, and uh, by the way, my church, you could access the sermons that I preach, uh, and that is at cefcmd.org, Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church, MD for Maryland, cefcmd.org. And uh, we seek to preach the whole counsel of God as it relates to every area of life. Everything that Scripture says is what we aim to say, and we hope by that ministry to help people around the country. We have people who join us on Sunday morning in small groups that, ha that have not found a biblical faithful church in their community have formed a fellowship uh, and, and are joining us uh, online in a sense, but have their, their own fellowship there uh, around the country. Praise the Lord. Pastor David Whitney, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alex.